This is Five on Three, center ice for all things Islanders, Rangers, and all news across the NHL on WFUV Sports. Welcome back, everybody, to Five on Three, WFUV's NHL podcast, where we talk about all things hockey. I am Sam Borer, here this week with Tyler Mooney and the one and only James Burley. We haven't had James on here in a while. James, I'm happy you're back. You know, it's good to be back, um, especially since it's relevant for the New Jersey Devils again. I know uh, everyone loves to hear me talk about them so much. But, yeah, I'm just happy to be back here with you guys. <laughs> Tyler, how are yeah, you? Yeah, it's good to be back. We got a pretty jam-packed episode this week, kind of a different a change of pace. We've been just kind of talking about games for the past three months, it seems. So now we get to talk about the drafts and some trades and signings. So yeah, I'm excited for this kind of new thought process. Yeah, absolutely. There's actually things that were happening this week uh, in the hockey world besides just the Stanley Cup, which is what we've been focusing on for the last while, it feels like. But the parades have happened. Everything is over. It is now time to gear up for next season and all the seasons after that, starting with the NHL draft. The 2022 NHL draft just occurred in Montreal. And boy, oh boy, were there some twists and turns to this draft. I think that Going into it, what I was seeing all over social media and all over everything was expecting this to kind of be a pretty set one through four, one through five in terms of who was going when or roughly. And then that just all got flipped completely on its head. So and that all started off with the Canadians. They were hosting the draft. They had the first overall pick and they did not take right as everyone thought they would. Everyone thought they'd take Shane Wright. He was the like projected number one overall even before the combine happened but he fell to fourth actually the Habs took Yurav Slavkovsky so try saying that name five times fast everybody but uh they took him first overall he was the tournament MVP at the Olympics the one where we had no NHL players playing in Beijing this past year he's been compared to the late Clark Gillies in his abilities so I think I mean a good take for the Canadians but interesting that they didn't take an actual Canadian player as they are usually want to do. Tyler, what were your thoughts on all of this? Yeah, that was definitely a little bit of a twist. I mean, with Shane Wright, it's been, it's felt like the past three, four years, ever since, I mean, I just finished my sophomore year in college. I feel like since I've been even in high school, it's been 2022 draft. Shane Wright is going first overall. And then it felt like as you got into this season and a little bit later into the season that, okay, this probably isn't as given as it once was thought, but still Shane Wright will most likely go first. But then in the weeks leading up to the draft, um, Sakovsky really shot up boards. I think even in the specific days leading up to the draft, it became apparent that he was actually going to be the player that the Canadians picked. And I think it's a good pick. I mean, he, he's a huge, powerful winger, which is something that the Canadians need. If you look at the moves that Montreal made last night, not just this pick, but also trading for Kirby Dog, which we'll talk about later. It's very obvious they wanted to get bigger and stronger up front. No, they had their two big forward pieces going into last night, which are Cole Caulfield and Nick Suzuki, both incredible players. But neither of them are big, especially Cole Caulfield. And as skilled a player as Cole Caulfield is, you can't win in the NHL with 12 Cole Caulfields as your forwards. You need to have size. So to see them be able to, hopefully match a player like Sakovsky on the same line as Caulfield, I think 
that gives them a really nice dynamic of you have the sniper in, in Caulfield and now you have the guy in Slikovsky who kind of reminds me of Capo Caco. I think you said that last night as well, James, in that he can, you know, really use his body to protect the puck along the wall. He can create possessions. I've seen people compare him to Rick Nash, which, I mean, that would be an outstanding projection if he was able to turn out like that. And um, he also has some really high-end passing capability. If he's able to develop that even further, I could see him working out on a line with Caulfield. That, that could be incredible. So I think this was a, a good pick for Montreal. Maybe not the pick that everyone expected, but I, I believe if this kid continues to develop the way that he is projected to develop, it, it'll end up being a good pick. Yeah, I mean, the, you can't go on and on enough about uh, Uri Slavkovsky. I love saying that name. It is a lot of fun. Wow. Uh, yeah, uh, a powerful presence on the wing, but also with so much offensive output. I mean, so many teams could use that. So many teams desperately need that. Um, we saw, as much as we don't like Evander Kane, we saw what his impact was for the Edmonton Oilers as a midseason acquisition. I don't want to say Slavkovsky is a similar profile to him, but they both have uh, physical attributes that can help a team that is struggling with uh, aiding players such as Dreisaitl and McDavid, who um, you do the bulk of the offensive work, but don't have those guys to supplement them on the first and second lines. Um, Montreal has that now. You know, they have guys that can work with Cole Caulfield um, in Slakovsky now that just brings something new that perhaps Shane Wright wasn't going to bring. I still think Shane Wright is the best all-around player in this draft class but I totally understand why he fell to fourth. Um, I still don't think Montreal should have passed on him just because he was the best player. I totally understand why they go for Slaff, and I do think he's going to be a great, great player. Um, the real reason I made that Capo-Caco comparison is because of the dynamic between Capo-Caco and Jack Hughes and Slavkovsky and Wright, being that Slavkovsky was, you know, the young kid playing with men who in, in the weeks leading up to the draft sort of started to convince everyone that he was going to go first, but ended up going second. Slavkovsky turned it around, flipped it on his head, and he went first. Um, definitely going to fit in great in Montreal. Really gutted he's not in New Jersey because I was so convinced that Wright was going to go first and Slav was going to go second, and God knows New Jersey needs a physical winger. Um, but at the end of the day, I think – and Shane Wright said this in his, uh, uh, in his interview following uh, the draft – uh, following his being drafted um, that it wasn't a case of him being the fourth best player in the draft, but the fact that he just didn't fit in the first three teams. And I think that's a totally, totally valid point to make um, because I mean, Montreal is pretty strong down the middle, New Jersey strong down the middle. Um, Arizona went for a different look in Logan Cooley, who is another terrific player. Um, I don't think they should have passed on right either, but I totally understand why it happened. And, from a Montreal perspective, I wouldn't be angry. From New Jersey's perspective, I'm not angry. Like, I wanted to get Slavkovsky, but Simon Nemec is a great pickup as well. Yeah, absolutely. I will. I'll get to him in just a second, but I think this is one of these scenarios where everyone's, like, ripping their hair out and shaking their heads going, what are you doing? What are you doing? Like, rights available. Why aren't you taking him? But then again, if we think back to Kale McCarr's draft class, Kale McCarr went fourth overall. Same position is right. No one expected him to. That was an abs – everyone expected him to go one or two stolen and we see how that turns out now so I mean like you said doesn't matter where you're drafted I mean Jesper Bratt was drafted in the sixth round of his year so I mean doesn't exactly matter where but it matters with what you do after that so hopefully everything will work out well for Shane Wright I'm sure it will because I also think he is the best player in this draft class but 
Good for the Canadians getting Slav. I thought he was going to go to the Devils as well, but the Devils took Simon Nemich second overall. A lot of people, like I said, expected them to take Slav and that when they didn't, they expected him to take Cooley, but they also did not do that. So they have now ended up with Simon Nemich, but I personally think he will be a really good fit on this Devils squad. I mean, he's 6'1", 192 pounds, and he has apparently been called one of the greatest D-men in this draft class. He was number one of the D-men by a mile, and he was given a 78% chance of becoming an NHL star, according to his player scouting card that was done by Elite Prospects uh, ahead of the draft. He seems like he is going to be a phenomenal defenseman to have on this Devils team. He seems like he'll be an offensive D-man, which will be really helpful. He played with Tomas Tatar on the uh, Slovak national team together, which I really like how Tomas Tatar plays personally after watching him this season as their reporter. I was a fan of his, and I think that if they were coached by the same staff, I think that bodes well. Plus, then when Nemec does end up on the Devils squad, whether it's at the end of this next season or two seasons from now, if Tatar is there, he has someone to look up to. He has a mentor, which I really like. So I guess, James, because you are our resident Devils expert, what are your thoughts about this draft? How do you think he'll fit in with them? How do you feel about them drafting another defenseman? I, I'm happy that since Slikovsky was off the board that they went for Nemich and not right, even though, as we've kind of all pretty unanimously agreed here, uh, Wright is the best player in the draft class, but he wouldn't have been the right fit. Simon Emich has the potential to be an elite defenseman within the next five years. I maybe not on the level of Kale McCarr, but, or even Adam Fox, the rivalry, it always gets in my head, but I love Simon Emich. I think he has a tremendous upside potential for this team. I mean, we saw what a disaster the defensive pairings were with New Jersey I mean, don't even get me started on the goaltending, but defense itself was um, just not pretty. I mean, when you, injuries to guys like Hamilton really, really showed the lack of depth in that area. And now um, the Devils have some of the best prospects in defense across the entire league. You've got Shakir Mukhamadoulin, which is another great name to say. Um, Okotia, Kevin Ball, so many young defensemen coming through the pipeline. And then you've got guys who are young and being forced into a role that perhaps they're not ready for, which is a problem like Ty Smith, who ate up a lot of minutes um, on the blue line for New Jersey and just was probably the weakest link um, sharing a lot of the time with PK Subban as his partner. Um, They were victimized quite a bit this past season. Um, So adding another right shot defenseman who has the upside of being a top pairing guy, at least a top four guy within the next three years is huge, especially because goaltending's young, your top goal scorers are young, your top playmakers are young. It's a young team. And if you want to keep that foundation together, it's going to have to start with the blue line because the blue line was non-existent for the past few years. And that's been so disappointing, so frustrating because historically, I mean, everybody knows New Jersey was like an absolute mecca for being defense uh, driven in hockey to the point where fans invalidate <laughs> their Stanley Cup wins and try to take away Brodeur's records because the defense was so good. Um, I mean, I don't think those days are ever going to come back, but um, I think we're going in the right direction in terms of defense in New Jersey. Simon Emich was the correct pick uh, with Slikovsky off the board. I have no complaints. I know we the group chat was going off last night. I was 
I was a little confused. I wasn't sure. I did not think this was going to happen. I, I did not consider it at all. But now that it has happened, I've given it a day to sink in, and I like it. I don't think next year he's going to play. I know uh, the GM, Tom Fitzgerald, said it's probably going to be one year. Uh, he was bullish, was the very uh, specific term that I read on Twitter, that he was going to wait a year and then come uh, try out for the team. I don't know how truth how truthful that is. I mean, he's been a double for less than 24 hours. So we'll see. I do love the pick, though. I, I mean, he's got great upside. Uh, I'd, be, I'd be surprised if he were a bust. Yeah, I would be surprised as well. I, I love the pick. Also, James, I mean, you got just off the top, you got now Nemich, you got Luke Hughes, and you got Dougie Hamilton. That's a really, really solid top three decoy that's going to be in New Jersey for a while. And you got to build from the defense out, I believe. And, you know, when you consider the debate between do they take the defense of Nemich or they take a Shane Wright or Cooley, a center like that, you got to take into account the Devils already have two top six centers, two elite centers they hope one day in Jack Hughes and Nico Heischer that they have, I believe, $14, $15 million already tied up in. So, you know, a lot of people, it seemed like we're thinking, oh, you know, why are they passing on Shane Wright? He, he's the best player. And I agree that he may have been the best player, but this wasn't a case of the Devils. Sometimes teams draft for a need, but they pick a player that just isn't at the level of the best player available. I think you should always go for the best player available, but if you're drafting for a need and it's, it's super close, like I think it is in this situation, I think it's fine. I mean, if you want to call Shane Wright 1A in this draft, Nemich can easily become 1, 1B. Like it, it, he can easily become a, a top-tier defenseman in this league. He's super good at controlling the game. A lot of people have raved about his ability. He knows when to speed the game up. He knows when to slow the game down. I think every team, if you want to, to compete for a Stanley Cup, you need that. I mean, Kale McCarr can do that. Adam Fox can do that. Charlie McAvoy can do that. You need guys like that. And if Nemich can end up being that for New Jersey, that's just that's so big to have that on your blue line for you know a decade plus. So I, I definitely like this pick for New Jersey too. Definitely not the, the – I think overall the top – of the draft it wasn't the way that everyone it didn't go the way everyone expected but like you said James after taking you know 24 hours to kind of digest I think a lot of teams made really good picks I completely agree I think at first we all were a little shell-shocked and like you said the group chat was um fruitful to say the least people were <laughs> opinionated but um I think that teams, like you said, made the best choice for what their needs were, not just taking the best player because it's fine to have the best player, but if you have Nathan McKinnon and Sidney Crosby on the same team, what can you do all the time? You know, like you can't have necessarily everyone be good at the same thing. So I think it'll be good. I think that from what I've seen and read, he seems like a very smart player, like a very calculated player. I think that will do really well on the devil squad because Sometimes watching them, it felt like they were just passing and did not know what was happening and like they were getting overwhelmed. So I think it'll be nice to see someone who is good in transition, who can make those smart plays, who's tough, who will add a lot to that Devils roster in whatever given amount of time when he finally graces the ice in a Devils jersey. So I'm very excited to see him. I think Jersey made the right pick for them there. But during the draft, there were a number of trades happening as well. 
some of them I think were much smarter than others. Um, I think that we saw a lot of trades that I personally wasn't expecting this year. And maybe I just wasn't keeping up with the uh, rumor mill enough, but I was a little bit shocked by a number of things I saw. Um, and I think one of the, one of the dumber trades that I saw, maybe not dumber, but one of the, um, no dumber trades that I saw. Was the, <laughs> like, I don't know what the right word to use is here. So we're just going to use that. This is the uh, Alex Devon cat trade. I, mm, okay. <laughs> First of all, if you are going to trade a player and the, your city's Instagram, like the actual city of Chicago verified Instagram account is going to comment on the Instagram post an L responding to that trade announcement something's wacky like maybe maybe you should realize that that was just perhaps not the greatest choice Alex Devrincat or Debrinket there was a lot of contingency in how you pronounce his name last night on the you see Tyler saying it's the second one however I think it, it's the second one I see I also thought it was Debrinket until I was listening to the broadcast and like literally like two people were saying Debrinket and then three people were saying Debrinket and I was like we need some you're on national television. Is the ESPN some... broadcast? Yeah. Yeah, that's that'll do it. Yeah, that'll, that'll do it. it. <laughs> <laughs> we love our, our we ESPN, love ESPN people here. out there. We love ESPN <laughs> here, but yeah, there there was just a little bit of discrepancy. So I guess uh Alex Debrinket uh was traded to the Ottawa Senators in exchange for the seventh overall pick, a 39th overall pick in this draft, and then a third round pick in the 2023 draft. Alex Dabrinka has hit 41 goals twice in the last five years with Chicago, and he came in third place for the Rocket Richard Trophy for leading and goal scoring in the NHL behind Matthews and McDavid in 2021. And now he's a member of the Ottawa Senators. Um, I just like, personally, I sit there and I'm like with the city of Chicago, even though we know I do not like the Blackhawks. I'm like, that is just an L. You are going to trade away one of your younger, more promising players during what you're trying to rebuild and keep some of your much older players eating up a lot of cap space. And for some draft picks, you're not even getting him for a solid player right now. You're not trading or trading him rather, sorry, for a solid player who's established in the league. You're not trading him for someone who's already built a reputation. You're gambling, essentially trading only for picks, which that could be great or it could come back and bite you in the butt. So I don't know, Tyler, what were your thoughts on this trade? Um, well, there's a few levels to unpack this first is should Chicago have even traded him in the first place. And I agree. I don't, I don't get your team. That's they've made it very obvious. They're rebuilding, which I think that is the absolute 100% right thing to do. They've been kind of towing the fence the last few years, which they shouldn't have been doing. They should have been committing to a rebuild probably two to three years before this, but Better late than never. You're going to rebuild. So what's a great way to start off a rebuild? Let's trade our 24-year-old two-time 40-goal scorer, who, by the way, he scored 32 and 52 last year. So he would have probably hit 50 if that was a regular season. And on top of that, let's trade our 21-year-old former third overall pick when he wasn't going to command that much money. So I don't get why Chicago traded to bring it, but you know what? They're going to go ahead and trade him. Okay. That's fine. Let's look at the trade. See if it was fair. And I mean, I, I think, I think Ottawa fleeced them right here. There was a lot of talk earlier in the week and earlier the week prior that Philly was looking really hard at the drink it. And the package that I kept seeing was the number five overall pick cam York 
and maybe like a roster player as well. I mean, that's a, a higher pick than seven. We know math, but also Cam York is, is supposed to be a, a very solid defenseman in the National Hockey League, plus a roster player. I just – I'm not sure how you can validate getting really just one – I mean, yeah, it's a top ten pick. And, yeah, um, I believe Kyle Davidson, he's still the GM of Chicago, yeah. He, um, he said in his interview after they made that seventh overall pick, they picked Kevin Krachinski, and he said, when we traded to Brinkett, we had this guy in mind. Like, we wanted to draft him. So I can respect that in some sense. You had a guy you really liked. You didn't ha- you were not in a position to get him. You made a trade. You now got your guy. And by the way, I think Krachinski is going to be really good. But I just don't think the value was matched at all. I mean, Alex DeBrinket could score – 40 goals every year and did he benefit a little from paying with cat did he benefit a little from playing with patrick kane yes probably but he's also an elite goal scorer in his own right and i think he's that's i mean amazing pickup for ottawa they now have a top line forward that is gonna be able to play with their young core and so i thought ottawa won this trade by a mile yeah as much as of an l as this is for the city of chicago it's a big fat w uh for ottawa i mean they just got a first line uh, forward who's going to score loads of goals. And Lord knows Ottawa could use some goal scorers. Um, not the most promising looking team, but they're also a really young team who has um, something to look forward to. And I think a lot more now with the Brinkat. Um, I don't know what Chicago is thinking there. You don't give up a guy like, like, Oh my God, in the middle of a rebuild of all things, is just such a valuable piece to have given up and to get not a lot in return. Um, it's a big head, big, big head scratcher. And it's not the only head scratcher that came out of this past week. Um, the, the, the saddest part about it for me is that Alex Brinkett did not think he was going to leave um, Chicago. I saw all the rumors. He, would, he was linked with Philadelphia for one, a number of other teams. And he you know, was interviewed and said that, he thought all those rumors were fruitless. Like he didn't think he was going to leave Chicago. He had plans to stay with the Blackhawks for a long, long time. I mean, he's just 24 now. I, he's got such a great future ahead of him. I do think Ottawa is going to have a, a better season. Um, they still have questions all over the ice, really. Um, a lot of good young defensemen too, though, for Ottawa. I mean, this is a big win for them. Chicago don't know what they were thinking. This is, I, I still can't, like, I still don't understand it. I still, I, I, I can't even break down the Islander-Chicago trade, that, that one. That oh, one yeah. is another, there's a whole other thing. I, I'm assuming that's where we're headed next. Yes, because, um, I, yeah, we <laughs> <laughs> get a little chat about that one. <laughs> yeah, but I understand why. Um, it, it's a big cap chunk. I mean, he's getting almost $20 million over three years in his final year. Um, he's an RFA, too. So I understand why they get him off the cap space, get him out of the cap space, but it's too valuable of a player to your team to give up for next to nothing. Not, not that the seventh overall pick, which ultimately went to Kaczynski is nothing. Um, Chicago could use a defenseman like him, but it just doesn't seem like a, a good fit. And everyone is angry except for people from Ottawa. Yeah. I, I think that's a fun way to say it. Everyone is angry except the people from Ottawa. I think, like I said, a little bit ago what what really is throwing me for a loop here is similarly to what Tyler said as well like you say you're going to rebuild you probably should have been doing that but fine you're going to rebuild 
why are you keeping guys like Patrick Kane who are making almost $7 million a year at the ripe age of like 33? Why are you keeping someone like that who of course is a core player to your team who's contributing, but you're getting rid of Kirby Doc. You're getting rid of Debrinket. You're getting rid of these people who are young, who can be there during the rebuild and grow with your team. So I guess on that note, let's address this Canadians Islanders Chicago trade that took me a minute to comprehend, but we got to, it was a three-way deal essentially more or less in which, well, different trades, but all ended up kind of commingling. The Canadians traded Alexander Romanov and the number 98 pick in this draft to the Islanders for pick number 13. And then in a second trade, they flipped the number 13 overall pick and the number 66 pick of this draft to the Chicago Blackhawks for Kirby Dog. So, yeah, a lot of things occurred in that trade. I don't have much else to add on that one, except that I'm like, what are you doing yet again? Kirby Dog is young. He's powerful. So, I don't know. We'll see, I guess, what happens. Do either of you have any additional thoughts on this trade? Tyler, you were, you were seeming like you had some, some feelings. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I feel like I kind of already touched on it with Montreal. I think it's a good move for Montreal. They got bigger. Doc has certainly not lived up to expectations. The, the billing of a number three overall pick, but again, he's 21 years old. He has so much room to grow. I think this is probably a better situation for him. Yes, there is more pressure. You're not playing in Montreal as a center, but he's not, he's no longer the number one guy. He was drafted and supposed to be in Chicago, the future number one center. And now he's not that Montreal. You have Nick Suzuki. You now have Cole Caulfield. You have Sakovsky. So there's these other young guys that are now also there alongside Kirby Doc. And he's coaching or he's playing under Marty St. Louis, who we saw how, how well he turned around um, Cole Caulfield season when he took over. Chicago don't like it. Don't really need to go into that, but I would like to talk about it a little bit for the Islanders. Cause I think, I think this is a, a pretty good move for the Islanders, you know, going, seeing the Islanders play a lot this year, it was clear that their defense, it needed a, a little bit of a revamping, you know, they, um, they obviously have Noah Dobson. I think he is one of the, if not the most underrated players in the league. And then you have Pelican Pulak who are a great pairing, you know, struggled with injuries and COVID this year, but, when those two are healthy, they're one of the best pairings in the league. But after that, it kind of falls off. You know, Scott Mayfield, he, he was a little bit inconsistent this year. He's also a free agent at the end of next year due for a pretty big raise, and the Islanders are a pretty cap-strapped team. And then the signings of Zidane Chara and Andy Green just really did not work for this team at all. Um, Chara really could not skate that much, to put it bluntly. So to get a young defensive, Romanov's only 22, and – Yes, he, he definitely has room to grow, but he's big, he's physical, which is a player that the Islanders like. That's what they, I think they kind of tried to get in Chara, but he can move way better. He has way more better offensive skills. And just looking at the Islanders' defensive pairs, you got Pelican Pulak, and it seems like Romanov is probably going to be paired up with Noah Dobson, which I think that's going to be an outstanding pairing. You know, Dobson said constantly, throughout the course of the season, how amazing it was and how rewarding it was to get to play with Char and he learned so much. And that's hundred percent true, but Char wasn't necessarily doing him that many favors on the ice. I felt like at times. And I think Romanov is going to be a much easier partner for Dobson to play with at the, the way that they both play. And they're both 22 years old. So they can really grow together. 
And um, I think this was the kind of move that the Islanders needed. They needed something to just kind of, you know, try and spark something and revamp this roster. It's, it's old. There's a lot of contracts that are stuck there for a while. So, and they didn't give up, you know, a roster player. I, I think, you know, you can argue whether the 13th overall pick was a little too much to pay for Romanov, but at the end of the day, you didn't give up a roster player and you improved your roster for a team that is in win now mode as much as last season's results would suggest. Otherwise they are in win now mode. Um, so I, I really like this move. The Islanders. I mean, if you look at the Islanders top four defensemen now, it's, it's something pretty special. Um, I can't help but think that Barry Trotz would do great things with these four defensemen specifically. Uh, that's another discussion that we've had before. But uh, regardless, I still think Montreal are the biggest winners um, coming out of this. Um, they have a really, really promising uh, forward line, forward core now. I mean, from the first line to the fourth line, uh, especially that top six now has got um, some promise to it with Stakowski coming in. Caulfield, Suzuki, Hoffman, Kirby Dacknell, Juan, like there are some serious players on, on this team. I don't think there's any one player who is head and shoulders, a superstar above the rest, but you've got really, really good, solid lines one through four. Uh, I, I see the Canadians as a team that are going to challenge in the Atlantic division now um, in a way that they certainly did not last year. <laughs> um, it's, it's an improvement. Uh, they're still going to have questions on the blue line, I think, but um, it's an improvement for sure. And I think you can say the same for the Islanders um, who didn't give too much in return for the Romanoff thing. I, I like it in, in a lot of ways, but again, it was still a really confusing one to understand just to wrap your head around. Um, yeah. Uh, keep the trades coming. Uh, I, I want more drama. I know a lot of teams are not done in the off season. The Sharks don't even have a coach to begin with. Uh, it's, this is going to be a fun off season. We're just getting started. Yeah, we really are just getting started. There's a number of free agents still available that different teams are trying to lock down within the salary cap era. That is proving to be quite difficult for a number of places. I mean, the Avalanche announced themselves that they are, in fact, letting Darcy Kemper hit the market because they simply couldn't afford what he'd be asking for this next year. And they've proven uh, or they've decided that it would prove more valuable to try and sign some other players like Val Nichushkin, like Nazem Kadri. So we'll see what happens with all of that and with all of the other free agents. But in the news of trades, other ones that we saw as well, Ryan McDonough of the Tampa Bay Lightning traded to Nashville in exchange for Philippe. Felipe, Philippe, Myers, Philippe, Philip. <laughs> I'm just going to start choosing how I'm going to pronounce different names and seeing how long it takes for someone to get really angry and then correct me. I think that's going to be my new, my new bit. Um, and Grant Mismash, uh, because, which is actually an incredible name. If my name was Mismash, oh, Dude, I can only imagine the sick. If they didn't think of a sick nickname for him, is it, if his nickname is just like Mashy, I'm gonna be like, what are you doing? You've wasted such an incredible opportunity with that name. Anyways, you can do a separate episode on hockey nicknaming nomenclature because it's quite fascinating. Um, but because of the salary cap, Tampa said that they just couldn't keep him. They couldn't keep what he'd be asking for. Uh, they have a number of players already locked down and very expensive contracts. And they were like, we don't like other teams. They didn't want to lowball him. So he, it was traded from Tampa to Nashville. I don't know. 
what were your initial thoughts? I enjoyed watching Ryan McDonough in this year, in these playoffs. I think he's great. I think he's a phenomenal player. I think he's very physical. I think he'll do well in Smashville uh, playing along with Matt Duchesne and with the others that we have there. But I, I am intrigued or not intrigued. I guess I was a little bit surprised to see that trade take place um, along with Kevin Fiala being traded from the wild to the Kings. That was one I can't say I saw coming. And once again, maybe I was just not involved in the rumor mill enough, but I had heard his name bouncing around the trade market, but didn't think that it would be to the Kings for a prospect and a pick because Kevin Fiala to me is a very, very incredible player watching him play this year. I was very impressed. And now he's going to LA um, and he has signed a mighty big contract for seven years, 7.875 million average. So Kevin Fiala is set. Do either of you have any outstanding thoughts on these first two trades? Uh, Tyler. Yeah, I mean, I was, I definitely, it, it became clear that, you know, McDonough was the odd man out. They have, I believe it's Sergachev, um, Chernak, and Calfoot all are due contracts, not this year, but next year for Tampa. So McDonough was making a good amount of change. He is getting up there in age. Of, I think he's only, you know, he's 34 right now. So he's still playing at a high level, but I think he's under contract till he's 37, 38. And there's always questions about whether, you know, defensemen will fall off. I was pretty surprised that he went to Nashville just because I don't know. I guess, I mean, it is a win for Nashville because they really gave up nothing for a good player, but also I don't think Nashville is in, you know, a win now mode. I think it was proven the fact that they got completely dismantled by Colorado in the first round that they're, just not close to being the Stanley Cup Finals team that they were four or five years ago, however long that was. Now, was this maybe a sign to Philip Forsberg to try and bring him back, saying, listen, we still want to win? That could potentially be it. I know, I believe Forsberg will probably end up hitting the open market, but it's still up in the air whether he ends up actually signing with another team or returning to Nashville. So that was a, a, pit, a move when I saw McDonough was traded. I was not thinking that it was going to be to Nashville, but it will be really interesting to see him fit there. You know, they already have some great defensemen. They're known for producing and developing it and being the home to many great defensemen. I feel like when I think, when you think Nashville Predators, you think Roman Yossi, Shea Weber, Ryan Suter, Eckholm, Ryan Ellis. The, I mean, the names go on. This is not an old franchise at all. So this team is known for producing and, and keeping up good defensemen. So it's a good place to go for Ryan McDonough. He's still, he's still playing well. And um, I, I, I mean, I love Ryan McDonough. I have a Ryan McDonough cap in Jersey. So I will definitely be cheering for him in Smashville. I think with both Fiala and McDonough, they both ended up, um, I both thought they were going to leave, but they both ended up in uh, new places that I didn't think they were going to go. I mean, Fiala's name had been thrown, thrown around for months. Um, new Jersey, was linked with him. Philly was linked with him. Um, I, I was surprised to see that he went to LA, but that's another one that now that I've digested makes a lot of sense. Um, he's going to do great there. Big LA star. He has that potential. I mean, he was so good this past season. Um, there's not much more you can say about Kevin Fiala. As for Ryan McDonough, I think he's probably a, a top two defenseman on just about any team in the NHL. I mean, maybe not so much skill wise these days, 
compared to what he was in his prime a few years ago. But the experience he brings and just the presence he has on the ice and probably in the locker room, I don't know the man personally, but there's a reason he was a young captain with the Rangers. He, he is that guy. He, he's been that guy. Two Stanley Cups, you know, big, big player. And, and yeah, Nashville are known for their defense um, in recent years. Like, this is a slam dunk for Nashville, I think. Um, I don't think they're going to be, you know, in it to win it next season. But an, an addition like McDonough is invaluable um, in a way where Kevin Fiala, his, his addition is going to be based on the numbers he produces. Uh, McDonough's just going to have a presence on this team that um, I don't know. It's, 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 a, it's an odd scenario because I didn't think he'd end up in Nashville just because I didn't think there were going to be big buyers like this. But it's certainly an improvement. Uh, he's, every team that adds a, a Ryan McDonough would be improved. Um, Kevin Fiala, another guy who's going to score loads of goals and going to be a star in L.A., I think. Uh, two, two good acquisitions for both these teams. Yeah, I agree. I think that you mentioned it a little bit that I just want to briefly mention the, uh, the rumor mill about the Devils' second overall pick and what everyone was saying they should do with it, saying they should give it up for. Fiala was the most prominent one, or should they give it up for some very – interesting people connected to that pick uh which i was laughing about online where i was like there's no way some of these are going to happen but sure so they ended up keeping the pick i know there were a number of things that were proposed but nothing that the devil was willing to bite at but both of those are large trades both important for both of those teams my favorite trade just because i think it is going to be hilarious is the tony d'angelo trade as he heads to the Flyers from the Canes uh, for three draft picks. That's what he was traded for, were three draft picks. He will now be playing under new coach John Tortorella. Not new coach, new to the Flyers. John Tortorella. Um, two people both with interesting histories and pasts. And Tony D'Angelo, as we've kind of discussed him a little bit, on this show has such a such a fascinating past uh in the nhl his split with the rangers was a dramatic one to say the least where he was let go and they said waivers are a formality he has played his last game with this team i think that's one of my favorite quotes of all time maybe um i am intrigued to see him play for the flyers besides his social media postings saying they're my favorite team. And then the one where he says my least favorite team is the Flyers from like years and years ago. So that'll go over well with the fan base, I'm sure. But I think all in all, it's a good deal for the Flyers. I mean, they did give up three draft picks, but his record this year, I mean, he's got 51 points in 64 games, which is absolutely nothing to be ashamed about. Um, I mean, 157 career points. He was drafted 19th overall. I don't know. I'm actually really intrigued to see how he does on this team and how he does being coached by Tortorella. I think he will be a pretty good fit for Philly. And I mean, frankly, they can take all the help they can get, especially after now they're lacking a Claude Giroux on their team. I think they can take another superstar in his place. And he also just signed an absolutely mega contract with them. So I don't know, James, how did you feel when you saw our man heading to, uh, to Philly? I was excited because, you know, it's another reason to, to hate him. You know what I mean? But uh, that's water under the bridge. I think it's, I think it's a really good, good pickup. I mean, 
he's a really good defenseman. You could say anything you want about him personality wise and social media presence wise that he's not, the, not maybe the, the best role model. I'll leave it at that. Um, John Tortorella is another interesting guy. That's going to be a great dynamic. I mean, I'm not saying D'Angelo's a goon on the ice, but are the days of the broad street bullies back? Like this would be, I think it's, I think it's great for just excitement. I think the Flyers are going to be a better team for it. I think Tortorella is a perfect fit in Philadelphia. I think D'Angelo is a good fit in Philadelphia. It's another, it's another case of a team getting a good player and they're probably going to be better for it. Um, we keep talking a lot about defensemen specifically uh, coming over because of the way that the drafts turned out because of the way that these players are going McDonough, D'Angelo. Now I don't see a way in which D'Angelo isn't beloved by the fans in Philly. And I, and I don't see a way in which I think they have some, maybe the best decor in the, in the metropolitan division now. I mean, I, I don't like Tony D'Angelo, but they're, they're up there. Like, Risk the line and Provorov, Ellis D'Angelo. That's really good. I know Cam York uh, might be headed elsewhere, um, but this is this is a this is a good pickup, and I think he's going to gel really quickly. I, I mean, it's it's scary because I don't want the Flyers to be good, and I don't want Tony D'Angelo to have success. But I think it's coming, and I I can't wait. Cause I think this, especially Eastern Conference now, because we've got obviously the, the teams that were at the top of the Eastern Conference last year are going to remain good. Toronto is not going to be bad. Tampa is not going to be bad. But now you've got Montreal are getting better. Ottawa getting better. Philly getting better. New Jersey getting better. It's, it, this is, this is going to be one of the better seasons. I mean, obviously, it's still early in the offseason. Teams are going to even out a little bit. But I still think this is going to be one of the more exciting seasons in terms of high-end playoff race because teams are loading up. This, is, this league is becoming very, very um, – What's the word? There's a lot of parity now uh, within positions across each team in each division. Um, and yeah, talk about personality. Um, Philadelphia, the Philadelphia Flyers have never uh, shied away from being a team that had some personality and they are going full steam ahead now. And uh, you know what? I'm here for it. It's going to be fun. Yeah, you're right, James. He's definitely a, a player that if he, you know, plays his cards right and, and plays the way that he did on the Rangers before things kind of went south. He's definitely a guy that will be beloved by that fan base. Um, he's from right outside of Philly. So he, he definitely grew up as a Flyers fan. I'm pretty sure that um, that screenshot was from when he was on the Rangers. So I think he was probably just saying that to uh, to play to the Rangers crowds. But he, he's from from South Jersey. So he definitely grew up a Flyers fan. Um, I don't I don't know. I go back and forth on this one. On one hand, yes, the Flyers, on paper, the Flyers' decor looks like it could be really good. Like, it could be really good. If you, like, delve in a little deeper, Tony D'Angelo, yes, he's fantastic offensively. I will stand by. I do not – he's not good defensively at all, which is not something that the Flyers need. They already struggle with that enough. Um, Ryan Ellis, he's going to start the year on long-term IR. I mean, there's been some rumors that he may never even play a game again. I will say I think the fact that the Flyers did not pick a defenseman last night, that's good sign for Ryan Ellis's future. I think if because they there were I I for, I'm forgetting the guy's name, but the number two defensive prospect was still available when the Flyers picked five last night. I think if Philadelphia knew that Ryan Ellis's future was seriously in doubt, they would have picked a defenseman. So the fact that they didn't, I think Ellis, while he won't start the season, he will be back at some point in the future. Um, but I think D'Angelo, 
at the end of the day is a pretty good fit. I had a little bit of a problem with the contract two years, 5 million, because if you look at the flyers, D pairing, the, the ideal pairings would be, you know, Ellis Provorov, Sanheim and Ristolainen, and then York and D'Angelo. I mean, that's a good D pairing on paper. So you're paying Tony D'Angelo $5 million to be a third line defenseman. I mean, that's, that's an overpayment or are you paying him to be, uh, you know, a second or even first line defenseman, but I don't, I don't think he's nowhere near as good defensively to be that kind of player. So I'm not sure the contract really matched the role that he's filling in Philadelphia, but it will be definitely entertaining to see him in Philly. I think he will be able to play to the crowd. I think his relationship with Tortorella is going to be very interesting to watch because say what you want about John Tortorella and, you know, has the game kind of moved past him, but he will bring structure and responsibility to that locker room. And that's something that from just living in Philly, being friends with Flyers fans, following the Flyers, that's something that that organization desperately needs. I think there's been a lot of blame on the coaching staff, the various coaching staffs that that team has gone through over the past five, six years and not as much blame on the players. It's, you know, the players can never do wrong. It's the coaches that are doing wrong. And I think that that's finally starting to change. They're finally starting to come to a realization here. And John Tortorella will be a guy that will bring structure and order and responsibility to that room. And maybe that'll be something that that is something that Tony D'Angelo probably needs. And maybe that'll be something he can thrive under. So it's definitely going to be interesting to see how, how that works out in Philly. And if they are able to field that defensive core at some point that I just said that, that could be a very scary defensive core. I think Ristolainen didn't necessarily have a great year, but I think he might, you know, there was no Ryan Ellis. He might've been playing a little bit out of his league. Ivan Provorov, he's a really good defenseman if he's playing with someone really good as well. He wasn't really playing with someone good as good this year. So I think adding Ryan Ellis, adding Tony Angelo, that would, a healthy Ryan Ellis, that would even that lineup up much more and have guys playing in roles and situations that fit them better. Um, and that you could see a bounce back from Philly. Uh, I still think they're lacking on the forward side, but that, it, like I said earlier, I think it starts with defense and they have a, a solid base set. So true, Tyler. Um, we could really <laughs> talk about trades all day it, right now. There's something new happening all the time, and we can't leave this episode or this segment without talking about the goalies. There have been a number of goalie trades happening, most notably for Rangers fans, Alexander Georgiev. Wow. I am just like wacky today. We are, we're going to like zoom into a different realm after this, but he was traded um, to Colorado actually, which is fascinating. He is joining the reigning Stanley cup champion team. Um, I know that that was a little bit of a shock for me, actually, not that I thought that they would be able to, um, keep Darcy Kemper because I knew that in this salary cap era, it would be way too expensive. Like I said earlier in this episode, but he was traded to the abs for a third and fifth round pick. So the abs didn't trade and I mean, didn't pick until the sixth round. And he was also traded for a third round pick in the 2023 draft. So he is now gone. Uh, that means Igor is one. I'm not sure who will be two for the Rangers as of yet, but that means that it will be then a toss-up between uh, Gorgiev and Pavel Francouz, 
for one and two on the Avs roster. I know that Frankie played a fair number of games this year for the Avs. They liked what he did in the playoffs when he had to step in for Kemper once he was injured. Um, and the attitude surrounding uh, Georgie is a little different. I mean, I personally was a little bit shocked when I saw that happen because of course there was this kind of, well, not of course, but it felt like there was this kind of feeling of um, apprehension whenever he would be in net for Igor during an important game, um, maybe feeling he wasn't as reliable. Is that just because he didn't play 30 games a year per, or 50 games perhaps? But I mean, now we'll see and hopefully he'll have more of a chance to shine in Colorado. Uh, Joe Sackick said that he thinks that when he has the chance to play a lot, he can be a great number one goalie and on any other team besides the Rangers, maybe he would be. So I'm excited to see what he does in Colorado. Him and Frankie, I think, will make a good pair, a good one-two tandem. Uh, yeah, James, what were your initial thoughts on this? I think it's, it's a good time to be a, uh, a backup, almost starter, tandem caliber goalie in the NHL now because I think so many teams are going that route. Um, and I don't think it was a bad thing for Colorado to have done that this year. I mean, Kemper was, you know, had Vesna potential this season. I mean, he was never going to beat out Igor. Um, and as for Georgiev, the reason that I felt that Rangers fans were so skeptical about him when he played is because they'd been spoiled by Igor. Uh, I thought Georgiev had, I mean, he had his moments where he got um, brutalized here and there, but every goal he does, I thought he was an incredibly serviceable backup to say the least. Um, seeing what the devils went through with seven goalies this year, the absolute nightmare that was, I, I, I was, I would be so grateful for a Georgiev type. Um, I think, you know, the situation that was in St. Louis last year is going to mirror a lot what's going what's going to be in the situation with Colorado in, uh, in this coming season. I don't think it's a cause for concern, really. I mean, losing Darcy Kemper is a big blow. But with Frankie and Georgiev, they have a really, really good structure, really good system where you could play both Gordy, Gordy, goalies pretty level amount of times, and you have one and the other to bounce off. I know a lot of coaches – especially old fashioned coaches do not like that system whatsoever, but it's worth a try for sure. And I do think it'll be fruitful in the sense that you have two solid goalies, neither who are good uh, are as good as Kemper or Igor Shosturkin, obviously, but who can provide a really, really strong base in, in the anchor defense. I, I, if I'm a Colorado fan, I, I wouldn't be discouraged by losing Kemper with these two goalies in your back pocket. It, it seems like a, a move. A lot of teams are trying to make now. Um, I don't want to make everything about the Devils, but so I, I will make the same point with St. Louis last year. I mean, Vili, Vili Husso and um, Bennington had to split time. You know, that it worked out. I mean, they had two solid goalies. I don't think they were ever a Stanley Cup threat, but it was a system that can work. They proved it. Teams have proved it time and time again. I think oh, now I'm going to talk about the Devils. Vanacek and Blackwood moving forward. I love that system. I don't love that we're also paying $4 million a year to Bernier for another season. But, you know, Blackwood's going to be injured again. It's going to happen. So we might as well have another NHL caliber goalie on the ranks. Yeah, I think I, I saw that interview with Zach that you were mentioning before, Sam. I think he's correct in that sense. I mean, there's no sugarcoating that this was Georgiev's worst year in the league. You know, he, yes, was it a little bit? You're coming from watching a goalie put together a top five goalie season of all time to Alex Georgiev. That was probably part of it. That was definitely part of it. But 
Georgiev also he just he wasn't he was not good. He would let in he would let in a stinker every now and then. And but but the thing with Georgiev is when there was that weird like two to three year period when the Henrik Lundqvist era was ending and Igor Shosturkin era was starting, Georgiev was was pretty much the one A for the Rangers and he was playing 40, 50 games a season. And he was really, really solid. I mean, he wasn't, you know, a top five going the league. He wasn't in any Vesna conversations, but he was extremely serviceable and he was reliable every night. And I think that there was kind of a mental handicap that he struggled with this year, especially, you know, when you're behind a guy like Shesterkin, who's going to play 75% of the games and, you know, you're coming to this realization that I have no future as a starting goalie in this organization. I think that would affect a lot of people and it certainly affected him. I think going to a new, a new, a new beginning in Colorado and, and getting the chance to be maybe not, you know, the ultimate starter, but a one, a one B scenario, I think that's going to really help him. I think he's the kind of goalie that benefits a lot from playing a lot. So I would Look at the stats from Alexander Gurgiev this year. If you're a Colorado fan and you see that and you're a little worried, I, I think that's that's not the norm for him. Um, I think when he plays more, he plays better. And there's times, you know, when look at look at this year when Shesterkin was hurt for about a three-week span and Gurgiev came in and he played really well. It's just he needs to play a lot of games. He's not a good backup. When you throw him in once every two, three weeks, he's going to have stinkers more times than not, and that's what's going to stick in your head. When he plays a lot, he plays well. So I think this is a win-win for both teams, too. Just to touch on the Rangers really quick, they got two-thirds and a fifth for a guy that they were not going to re-sign. So I think that was a, a Chris Drury win. And Colorado got a cheaper goalie that, while he may not be as good as Kemper, he can be pretty close. And we saw from what the Avs did this year that they're not going to need a Vesna-caliber goalie to, to win. They just need a guy who's going to be able to not let in stinkers. And I think Georgiev, when he's on his game, he can be that guy. I agree. I think that, I mean, I was just as harsh as the next person on him this year, and I will own that. Uh, but I have hope for him in Colorado. So we shall see. Plus, I think that either playing with Frankie, playing behind Frankie, one, two, however they end up, both are very trustworthy in net for the abs if they hope to make another run at the cup, especially if they can maintain a lot of the rest of their roster. But very quickly touching on some of the other goalies, because this has turned into a much longer episode than I thought it would, to be frank, um, much longer episode. But uh, you mentioned Villahuso was traded from the Blues to the Red Wings. That is one that I was absolutely not expecting this year. I think that Bennington is good. I think he's quite good. I think that that is some major confidence in Jordan Bennington. I think that the Red Wings got away with an absolute steal uh, getting Huso from the Blues in exchange for a third round pick in the draft this year. Uh, and that was it because I think that Huso was a great backup once Bennington was injured in the playoffs this year. I thought that he played just as good as he could for being what he was. And I think that letting him go and not having him as Bennington's backup anymore is a mistake for the Blues. I don't know. I think it's great for the Red Wings and hopefully he'll do wonders for their organization. Um, but yeah, I think that one was troubling. And then, uh, like you said, Vanacek was traded from the Capitals to the Devils in exchange for a second round and third round pick. The Devils have been struggling in goaltending these last couple of years. That's what I know you and I, James, this year both would say over and over that 
that's the thing that they really need to fix if they want to become a contending team because they don't have a good starting goaltender. Will it be Vanacek? I don't know. But it doesn't hurt that they now have yet another on the roster considering, like you said, Blackwood only came back for the last couple games of last season. He'll probably get hurt again. They're paying Bernier a lot of money. We'll see. Um, yeah, quickly, thoughts on those. Either of you, Tyler, go. Um, so for, for Husso, I think just getting him for a third-round pick was a great deal for, for Stevie Y. It reminded me, it was almost identical to the trade he made at this point last year. He traded for Alexander Nadelkovich from Carolina um, for – it might've also been a third round pick. Maybe it was a second, but very similar goalies. And they're like semi young. They were sort of starters similar to like a one, a scenario. And now bringing them in um, who saw what was really good this year. He, there was a point for most of the, or maybe not most of the year, but definitely the second half of the year, he was the starter in St. Louis and he was starting the playoffs until he got pulled Versa Wild and Jordan Bennington came in and looked like 2019 Jordan Bennington. So I think that was a good move for Detroit to get him. They did give him a pretty decently sized contract. I think it was like three years around the four and a half million dollar range, which is a, is a good amount of money, especially considering this is the only year he's really been able to put it together like he, he has. And like that money is suggesting that he should. But if he's able to put it together and repeat what he did this year for the next few years. I think that'll be a great deal for Detroit. And I like the move for the devils too. I think they need someone to push Mackenzie Blackwood. I, I, I think in years, in the years past, it's been okay. Mackenzie Blackwood's the guy. I think that's not a given anymore. And Vanacek, he's, he's got back-to-back 21 seasons and looking at his stats, I could not believe this. I had a double take when I did this. He had two, this past two years, he's had a 908 save percentage both years Two years ago, he had a 267 goals against average, and last year he had 269 goals against average. So that is the definition of consistency, which if you know anything about goalies, that is like so rare. Goalies are anything but consistent. So to get a guy like that who's just going to be solid, nothing more, nothing less, I think that'll be good, and I think that'll push Mackenzie Blackwood too. I mean, it's the year of the 1A, 1B goaltending, uh, and, I, and I'm here for it. Um, yeah, you're totally right about Mackenzie Blackwood. Uh, definitely good enough to be a top 10 goalie in the league, but the man cannot stay healthy, um, and that's a big deal. Vanacek is a guy who you don't have to pay a whole lot of money to, and you know what you're going to get because you're going to get consistency. Um, playing in a similar role where he was not a traditional backup but certainly wasn't the starter – and he ate up a lot of minutes and did decent job doing it. wasn't wasn't a superstar, but wasn't wasn't any uh, calls for concern for Washington. Um, as for Detroit, I'm a big Nadelkovich fan. I think they're going to see a one A one B system too. I thought I didn't think they needed a new goaltender, but I love the move as well for them. Um, I think Dallas is another team that has a, a system similar. I don't know what Braden Holtby's situation is with his health, but I mean that's another another team that has two goalies to lean on and are going to have a fun time doing it. As for um, the devils, I still think Mackenzie Blackwood is your, is your go-to guy. Uh, if you can get 50, 55 games out of him, it's a win. Um, I don't think that's going to happen. And I don't think if, even if he doesn't, it's going to be the biggest, biggest loss because even though I know how good he can be with Vanacek, and Bernier and even Nico Dawes, who I thought was phenomenal. Um, 
he had to deal with the absolute disaster that the season was at 21 years old. And he, he, he did it in stride. Um, the devil's def- uh, goalie situation should not be nearly as bad as it was this year. Um, it's a step in the right direction. I think uh, Detroit uh, has it better off though with Huso and Nadelkovich. I think that's, that's a great tandem going forward would be really surprised if, um, and they were on the up last year too. I mean, it, it was the last season was a bridge season from, the basement of the Atlantic division to a relevant enough team. And this season, I think it's going to be another step in that direction. Um, I don't think he'll make the playoffs just because of the Atlantic division stacked. Um, but yeah, big, big move for them. Um, I'm a big fan of this new system of goaltenders. I don't, I, I love the uh, opportunity that, that it has to protect against injury. Um, I hate to see a really good team have a really good goalie go down and then become a really bad team. Um, it's a horrible look. I, I think, those days are starting to fade away. Very much so. I think that there's a lot of promise heading to, into this next year for a lot of teams. I think that a lot of gyms and owners are making some very, very smart trades and acquisitions. So I have high hopes for this next year. And I think with that, we're going to call this episode. I think unless we have any incredibly strong takes on the coaching situation, I think that this has been a lovely episode of five on three. I think that we will have to see how this next week wraps up. I believe we will have one final episode for the season uh, next week. And then we will be saying goodbye for the rest of the summer until we see preseason starting in the fall. uh, And then obviously the regular season after that. So on this fine Friday evening afternoon. I hope everyone has a lovely weekend. And I am once again, Samantha Boer for Tyler Mooney and James Burley. Five on three is a production of WFUV Sports.